and that's what love's all about, being able to choose. And so we, we have an opportunity to choose to love the Lord. We've been working through this first chapter. We've had an introduction, and we got into the first six verses of chapter 1 uh, last week. And so this morning I want to continue on. Uh, I do want to mention that if you are a guest with us, maybe you come for baptisms or some other reason, we are really glad that you're here. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in the seat rack in front of you if you want to follow along. And uh, I believe it's around page 700 and something is where we are and so uh, in that Bible. And we're in the book of Malachi, the last book of the New Testament, Malachi chapter 1. And so uh, we're thankful that you came this morning and you are joining us, and it is a good time. So uh, Malachi chapter 1, we're looking at this, uh, this, this subject of how God loves the nation of Israel. And uh, it's, a great, it's a great day to really celebrate God's love, as we've seen you know, Seth get baptized and, and uh, Alicia follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and Steve got dangerously close to a christening right there. Um, so uh, that's a joke, by the way. So, <clears throat> but uh, today, if you're with us for the first time, we're, this is a great time to be here. As we're getting ready to enter the, the Christmas season, you know, what a great time to think about the incarnation of Christ and how God really did, did love the world and does love the world, and He gave His only begotten Son. And God has done so much to manifest His love, and yet even to this day, the world's in darkness, and they don't really see how much God loves them and has loved them. We talked about that last week, how not only He does love, but He has loved us, even when we were without strength, right? When we were, before we were even born, He has provided uh, our way to escape the penalty of sin and death and hell. And so we talked about that last week, and so I hope you were with us. If you weren't, I kind of, I kind of camped out on that. This morning as we're in the Malachi, uh, in page, and by the way, that page is 729, uh, if you're looking at one of those Bibles, 729. Uh, <clears throat> Malachi means what? Because this, this is going to be interactive. What does Malachi mean? What's the title? What's his name mean? Anybody remember? Messenger, right? So he's a messenger. He's a He's a messenger. He's a herald. Like around, remember around Christmas, we like to talk about how God brought angels, and then the, the shepherds went out and they proclaimed that Christ was born. He was he was a messenger. His job was to just deliver the message. There's not a lot known about him other than that he was a messenger, and he was a faithful messenger at a time when Israel needed a faithful messenger, and and uh, it was a message that God truly loved His people. So let's just go to where we were last week. I'm going to do a little review. In Malachi chapter 1, let's read, let's stand together if you would. Malachi chapter 1, the first six verses. And I'll have you sit after that. And we'll, we're going to continue reading, but I'm going to have you sit after the first six verses in honor of the Lord's word. This is what we've covered in the previous week. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And we've brought up the fact that God was burdened with the, the word that uh, he had for the nation of Israel. And he transferred that burden to Malachi to deliver this message, starting in verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. And I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Verse 5, And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. And this is where we left off. Verse 6, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. 
If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name, and ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, as we continue in this chapter of Malachi, Lord, that you would uh, allow us to understand the magnitude and the gravity of what is going on in the relationship between the Lord God Almighty and His people Israel, so that we can understand the magnitude of the relationship that you have with those of us that are called the children of God, those that are called the sons of God, those that are called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, today you have given us a message. You have given us the whole counsel of your word. You have called us out today to worship you, and and we very much are like Malachi. Lord, we we don't want to see, uh, Lord, a time of silence. Lord, but we know there's coming a time shortly, uh, Lord, when there will be a difficulty on the earth. And, and Lord, we want to be faithful until you catch us away. So, Lord, help us to be prepared for your coming. Help us to be ready. Help us to be the people uh, that would not pretend to be Christians, but actually live as we ought, as your children. Lord, help our hearts to be right. That's what this whole epistle is about, Lord. And Heavenly Father, thank you for your heart. Thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for loving us. And, ha- and having loved us, Lord, I pray now that we would learn the lessons uh, that, uh, that Malachi was giving to the priests in, the, in this uh, passage, Lord, that, the, that we would understand, Lord, our identity in Christ and our reality. And we just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so just by way of review, um, there's, a, there's outlines. I've already filled in your blanks if you got the handout. This week we just put it in the, in the bulletin w- so you have it with you. But Uh, We saw last week, we found our identity in Malachi verses 1 through 6. And the the key, and I'll give it to you at the beginning, is really in verse 6. He's identifying the priests. He's specifically calling out the priests of the nation of Israel. And so uh, we talked about how the Father's love was stated in verses 1 and 2. He says, I have loved you. We saw that last week. And, uh, And so we talked about the struggle with us even expressing love, but how God expressed his love for us even before we were born. So God is very... Uh, clear that he loves them, even though they question, you know, where and have you loved us? We don't feel like you've loved us, but the reality is he loved them dearly. And so we also talked about, started to talk about how the father's love was demonstrated in verses two through five, how he loved them. And, and uh, the verses up through verse five deal with how he did that. Specifically, he chose, it wasn't the only way he loved them, but specifically he chose to, to talk about the Esau, right? And, and how God took the seed of Esau, Edom, and he has judged them because they were not kind to Israel. And we saw how God called Israel to be kind to Esau initially as they came in the promised land. But over time, they became the enemies of Israel. And as Israel went into captivity, they were encouraging the Babylonian captivity. They were encouraging the complete destruction and annihilation of God's people. And God says, hey, get off my peeps. I'm going to take care of you forever. Right, So Edom is, he says, hey, listen, I have chosen you over Edom. I chose Jacob over Esau. That's what he's saying. I have chosen this seed. Now, we talked about all the particulars of that. So if you want to get into all that, you can go back and listen to, to last week's service. But the question there was, well, where and as you loved us? He says, well, this is how I've loved you. I've called you. I've selected you. So God shows his love for Israel by protecting them from their enemies specifically. So the father showed his love for the world, of course, when he gave his sacrifice on the cross, he gave his son, and he has showed his love for everybody in the world by giving Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for sin. 
And so what's incredible is in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22 in the Old Testament, God called Israel his son. And the whole nation collectively was the son of God. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, there's, we are individually, 1 John chapter 3, we are all individually called the sons of God. Every individual has to make a decision uh, in their life, whether to trust Christ as Savior or to reject him. It's as simple as being in the light or being in the darkness. And it's an amazing thing how personal God's love is for us today. It's obviously important because he loves the church. Collectively, we are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We are the church of the living God. But the reality is, in this dispensation, in this age where God's pouring out his grace, it's got to be a personal decision. It's not, I can't get anybody into heaven, and your mom can't pull you into heaven. Your grandma can't pull you into heaven. Every individual has to come to the place that they understand how God has loved them and receive with, with meekness that the, the word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, trusting his finished work on the cross. Else you're not saved. And, and uh, you, you are doing exactly what the folks in Malachi were doing, going, well, hey, you don't love us. Yeah, yeah, he does love us. So that's about where we stopped last week, and we just worked on that principle. But this morning, I'm going to pick up the last point of that, that first point about uh, our identity in regard, to, uh, in regard to the love for the Father being found in our identity. And that's in point C, the Father's love desecrated. And that has a question mark. And I, I just, wanna, just want you to kind of think a little bit with me about what verse 6 says, where he says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? Right? You, you want to call me father. Well, if I'm your dad, where's your, where's your honor? Where, I'm not feeling any honor. Uh, you're not obeying in regard to how you uh, are handling the sacrifices, which we'll get into that this morning. You're questioning my love for you. We're, we're, if I'm your father, then show me some honor, right? What's the, what is the only thing a child, what's the main thing? Ephesians 6, 1, we teach every child. If you're a parent and you know any verses in the Bible, the ones that you're going to remember is Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That comes right out of the Old Testament. That's, that's the first commandment with promise, right? If you, if you do this, it's going to be good for you, right? So that promise uh, is true. And God's like, hey, listen, I want to bless you guys, but you got to honor the Father. If I'm your Father, where's my honor? And then he goes on to say, and, and if I'd be a master, right? If I was your boss, where's my fear? I mean, if I was your boss, uh, you, you know, you would give me more honor than you're giving me now. And the sad thing is, this is the message. I mean, my, uh, this isn't Malachi's opinion. He says, saith the Lord of hosts unto you. I mean, this is God's direct revelation, direct words from heaven to his people. Guys, you don't honor me like a dad. You're not honoring me like a father. You're not even honoring me like your boss. And then he says this, O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have you despised thy name? He knows what their heart is. You know, when Jesus was in this, you remember in, the, in his earthly ministry, oftentimes he would hear the questions of people's hearts. He'd be doing something, and they'd question in their heart, and then he'd just answer them. And they'd be like, whoa, why? Because he knows. I don't know anybody's heart, but God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Before they even speak it, he's answering their questions. He's saying, wherein have we despised thy name? Where, where did we despise thy name? We've been nothing but, you know, running the show around here. We've been keeping the altar hot, and we've been doing the sacrifices. So he's going to be very clear. The priests were desecrating God's name instead of consecrating God's name. 
It wasn't that they weren't religious. It wasn't that they weren't, in our terms, going to church. They were, they were doing their duty, but they weren't doing it with the right heart attitude. They were, instead of, instead of consecrating the name of the Lord, instead of setting it apart, instead of magnifying Him, instead of honoring Him, they were dishonoring Him. They were desecrating His name instead of consecrating His name. You know, this is important to us in a very practical sense because in the New Testament... We are called kings and priests. That's a title for us. You're still dealing with our identity. God's love for us is revealed in our identity. Now, initially, to understand God's love, we understand that we are sinners, right? And that we've been, we've been provided a sacrifice for sin, and that's Jesus Christ. That's, that's where we start. That's point A. And we talked about that last week. And then you must be born again. And we've been, we just saw examples of people who have trusted Jesus Christ and are now following him and, and have submitted to believers' baptism because they have trusted his finished work. They've taken that next right step and now shown publicly, I have trusted Jesus Christ and his finished work. They're not baptized to be saved. They're baptized because they are saved. And the day they trusted Christ, the Spirit of God indwelled them and they were sealed with the soul, their souls were sealed to the day of redemption. All right, that's salvation. That's where we start. In that moment when we get saved, it's also called being born again. So our identity then is that of a child, that of a son of God, a child of God. And when we're born again, of course, that means we inherit the, the DNA. Now, the, eventually we'll get the, the physical DNA, but right now we have flesh and blood that does not inherit the kingdom of God. But the promise is someday we'll be resurrected. So the resurrection power of Christ is muy importante, right? It's very important. Because if you don't have that resurrection, then the gospel's no good. Because it's, it only goes as far as this life, and this life isn't enough. But this is eternal, so someday we're going to be resurrected, and we will literally be changed into his image. So the, the message of the gospel is not just, oh, if I trust Christ, I'm going to have a better life now. No, that's some guy down in Texas. The, the, the reality is, if you trust the, in, in Christ, you, your life may improve or it might get worse. I can't tell you, because it's a spiritual battle out there. But what's really going to happen is someday your life is going to get better when you get resurrected. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we quit living for tomorrow. We live for eternity. And this is the cool thing. When you finally dial in on this, when you figure out eternity begins the day you get saved, it puts all the other issues of life in perspective. I mean, this is really, we're just passing through, beloved. Don't get too attached to all this stuff because you're just passing through. Our identity is now found in Christ, and we have, a, we have a glorified body awaiting us. And so the things that we do today have everything to do with eternity to come, and, and they make a difference now because we're kings and we're priests. We're not just sons of God. We're not just children of God, but we carry a certain authority with us as kings and priests, which means there's a function in the kingdom. And we'll get to that on Wednesday nights when I get to chapter 6. There's a process, too, of growth and maturation and growing, right? When a baby is born, they just don't just jump up and, and uh, you know, move into the Oval Office, right? There's a process, and that's a bad example. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> do something worthy of honor, right? A, a, a child has to develop and grow. They don't, just, they don't just jump into a pulpit. Have you ever heard that saying? Why would a preacher ever lower himself to be a king? There's a lot of truth in that. When it comes to the wisdom of this world. Why? Because we serve heaven. We're the king of kings. So we're, we're not the king, right? We're just, we're just kings and priests. So I've given you some verses. First, First Peter 2, 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood. That's what Peter said. A holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We sing that praise song. Into marvelous light I'm running. Right? That's where that comes from. Out of darkness, right? Out of shame. And so that's what, yeah, let's raise our hands and spin around, man. See the light that I have found. So this is the reality, though. That's a great song. But that comes because why? Our identity has changed. And now, well, man, we're kings and priests. We're a royal priesthood. What, what are you talking about, Brian? Well, how much do we talk about prayer around here? Uh, we talk about it all the time. Now are we doing it? See, it's not just about talking about praying. Our function in the body is to pray. That's what, that's what priests were doing. They were interceding. They were inter- there was intercessory work going on at the temple. Now, we don't have a physical temple other than the bodies that we live in. And this is a tabernacle because it's temporary. We look to Jerusalem above, the mother of us all. That's where the temple is in the third heaven. I mean, so when we, we have direct connect to the third heaven, right? Before all this new, newfangled technology, man, the church has been ahead of it for over 2,000 years. After Jesus Christ comes into our heart, we are hardwired into the, into the, into the th- throne room so we can do the intercessory work of God. All of you younger people get it. It's just your second nature, right? You're, you're wired right now. You don't have to connect any lines or anything. You walk around with your phone, and there's just this magical airwave that happens, and now it's on your phone. It's 3G, 4G, now it's going to 5G, right? Well, guess what? We got, we got, we got a 7G, <laughs> and, it's, and uh, it's going to the Godhead. That's the original 3G. So, anyway, so Revelation 1, 6 says, And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In both of these instances, it's all about God getting the glory. God uh, not only needs, he doesn't really need us, but he wants us, but he deserves, let's put this in the context of the message, he deserves the glory and the honor and the praise especially from those that are his children, especially for those that are his representatives, especially for those that function in his stead, in Christ's stead, to reconcile men to God. I mean, what else are we doing? There is no other thing that you're doing in life if you're a Christian. I'm talking to Christians. There is nothing else as important as doing what God put you on the planet to do. And that's represent him well. And me too. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. Revelation 5.10, and, and, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and, and we shall reign on earth. We shall. It's not, not a matter of if, it's when. So whatever happens, I know that people on edge are worried about this, they're worried about that, they're worried about politics. Listen, it's a mess because men are involved in it. But there's a man, and he's going to set it all right. In the meantime, don't lose fo- focus on what your job is as a king and a priest is to be reconciling men to God. Even men that right now in your flesh you may feel are your enemies. Those are actually the very people you need to be loving and leading to Christ if you really want to see Jesus Christ be glorified. All right, so the love of the Father is found in our identity, which is I'm talking about. So the Father chose to identify with Israel, but the children of Israel were not identifying with the Lord in their heart. Right? Outwardly they were, but inwardly they really weren't. They had an attitude problem. And why is this? 
Well, the reason, I don't think God just used Esau as a, like a, a random example. Because, well, he's God, I'm not. I, God's smart, and I'm not. <laughs> so God, God does this. So God says, hey, listen, uh, let me tell you how much I love you. I chose Esau. And what, well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, what, what was Esau's problem? You remember what really Esau's bigger issue was? Was he not the firstborn? Was he not the one that initially would have had the blessing, other than God already told Rebecca he wasn't? Right. I mean, he, he gave up his blessing. He sold it for a pot of porridge, right? He just said, you know what? I don't really care about my name. I'm hungry. I don't even care about dad. I don't care about my father. All I want is a bowl of soup. Give me some grub, man. And he traded in all those promises for a one-time satisfaction meal. God says, hey, you know, the way you're despising my name is the same way Esau did. Right? He, he, just, he just gave it up. He didn't care. He was just going through the motions. Now, you didn't know that. He still, at the end of the day, expected a blessing. Right? You know how the whole story plays out. And even with Jacob's conniving, God had it fixed. The point is simply this. He'd already given it up. Now, as children of God, as kings and priests, it's so important in, in the church today that we don't give up. Oh, you, we can know who we are in Christ. We can understand that we're children of God. We can understand that we're priests and kings. But you know what? The last thing we can afford to do is stop acting like it in our hearts and grow cold on the inside and keep going on on the outside, right? That's the last thing the world, the flesh, and the, and the, that's the first thing the world, the flesh, and the devil wants. And it's the last thing this world needs right now because the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are the salt and the light. So don't take being a child of God lightly. Oh man, oh man, that, I, am, I am sick I am, I'm like, literally, it makes me, I get tired sometimes of listening to everybody beat up on the church. And I don't think that they're all together wrong in what they're saying, because there's all kinds of examples of where the church can fail people. But at the end of the day, there needs to be somebody, and I'll just be that guy that will stand up and say, get off of the church. She is the bride of Christ. She is the beautiful bride. No matter what she's doing wrong today, God has a plan for her, and, he's going to re- and she's redeemed. It's a matter of time. She will be judged. If she's messing it up, she'll be judged. But the church is the, is the, it's the church of the living God. This is the only option that the world has to get out of this mess. There's no other place to go. There's no other remedy in this world. There's no political answer. There is no drug answer. There is no money answer. There is no other answer. The only answer is Jesus Christ and the only messengers, the only Malachi's on the planet left are us until God catches us away. So don't take being a child of God lightly. Because you're no longer a child of the devil. Then why would we live like it? You say, how do I take being a child of God lightly? Well, I'm glad you asked. I don't know who I'm talking to. So just 
Sometimes this could step on someone's toes. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just, just preaching. But this is what I know about us. This is how we despise the name of the Lord. God has called us and set us apart to serve him as kings and priests, but we live like the devil and still come to church and act like it's cool. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I just know people. I remember when I was a young Christian, that would fry my hide. I'm out witnessing to people. I'm bringing people to church. I get them to church, and then they're like, hey, yeah, that guy hooked me up with some dope. What? That guy in the church let me go pound him. You know, and I was one of those guys, hypocrites. But you know what I also saw God do? Is heal that guy, that other guy. That should have known better. And then I realized, wow, this is just like a big hospital for sick people. And I need to have some grace and let God do what God does. Because God does what he does. And you know what? If that guy over there wants to keep playing around and living like hell on the weekdays, God will judge him. But for this guy here, I'm going to take him and disciple him. And he'll be fine. And it wasn't very long before that I was the guy doing that very same thing I was mad at that other guy for doing. I just didn't do it at church. You know what I'm saying? You know what that would make me? Hypocrite. Right? What did the Chiefs play today? Okay. At noon? Okay, I better hurry up. <laughs> so 1 Peter 4, the Bible says, For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind that he had, uh, for he hath suffered in the flesh, hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of, of men, but to the will of God. Bottom line is, guys, we got to do better, right? I've got to do better. I'm the pastor. I've got to do better. we all got to do better. Why? Because we see the days are growing dark. And so we've got to say, wait a minute. We don't want to be like Israel before God went silent and before the light came on 400 years later. We want to be the church of the living God. We want to be those overcomers that understand and hear Jesus knocking, that know where Jesus is at, that understand where God's word is, that hear his voice, that follow him. No matter what goes on, we follow him. And that's who God has called us to be. Romans 6 says this. What then? What shall we say then? Paul's writing to those Romans. He's saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's no other way to dishonor God's name than to do that. Just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. Grace unto it. God's blood covers it. Hallelujah. Let's go. Let's just go live for our flesh. God forbid, Paul says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He's asking the question too. How have we dishonored thy name? Well, by dishonoring his name in the way in which we live. Okay, point two. Now we're back to the second point, which the love of the Father is definitely revealed. It's found in our identity. But the love of the Father is also revealed in our piety. Right? We, we find the love of the Father in our identity because he changes us when we get saved. Right? We become his image. It's amazing. His image and likeness is restored as soon as we... Well, his, his image is restored in us as soon as we get saved, and his likeness is restored when we get our new bodies. But in, verse, in point two, the Bible says it... Or the, in point two, I, the, my point here is that his love is also revealed in our piety. And when we pick up the text in verse six of Malachi, he's still addressing the priests. And he says, and they say, Wherein have you despised thy name? He says in verse seven, You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. That's how you despise my name. 
And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? Another question. Uh, In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Talking about a master. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Would you give your governor the sacrifice that you're giving me? Are you giving your boss more glory than you would give me? you giving your boss more of your heart than you're giving me? Point nine, or verse nine. And now I pray you, <clears throat> beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Do you expect me to just answer every whim that you have? When you aren't giving me honor, that's what, that's what the Lord is saying through Malachi verse 10. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. He's like, I'm not listening right now. How many of you guys are going to go through the motions of the priesthood without getting a benefactor, benefit from it? Not a one of you. Let me tell you. Till you start honoring me, I'm not listening. I'm not hearing you. You know what he's saying? I'm fixing to go silent. You know, Christians, we can't lose our salvation. But you know, if we live like hell and live like the devil long enough, we will lose our fellowship. Oh, God, help! Oh, God, help! Why weren't you there for me? I don't know. When were you there for me, son? You were there for your boss. You were there for your lover. You were there for... Uh, your, your pleasure, you were there for everything else. Oh, now you need me? Am I your servant? Who's serving who here? I'm, I mean, I, I'm, this isn't me, guys. This is God. Don't get mad at me. This is what he's saying to the nation of Israel. But I think maybe there's some people, even in the church, that could, to, could put that on and wear it. Maybe even me at times. God forbid, man. Lord, forgive me. Verse 10, who is there among you that, I read that, verse 11, for for from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Man, hallelujah. You know God, you know what verse 11 tells us? This is so wonderful. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need Israel to accomplish his mission. That's been proven for about 2,000 years. He still has a plan for Israel. He's still going to fulfill his mission. God, if you're a Jew, God has a plan for Israel, but you need to get in Christ today. So the point is simply this. God doesn't need us, but he does want us. That's why he sent Malachi. He didn't want to see Israel go off the, off the, off the rails, but that's where they were going. So let me talk to you about piety, because that's, you know, that word to me is kind of like, oh, when I think of piety, I think of someone who's pious. And when I think of someone who's pious, just the word pious, you know, it's like, no, man, I don't like that. But you know what? It's a good word. I think God led me to that word. And so I I used it. I I was going to come up with some other word that was like rhyming with identity or something. But anyway, piety is really, really a good word. The, The definition of piety uh, Noah Webster says, Piety in principle is a compound of veneration or reverence of the supreme being and love of his character or veneration accompanied with love. And piety in practice is the exercise of these affections in obedience to his will and devotion into, into his service. 
Piety is only proper and adequate, is the only proper and adequate relief of decaying man. I'm like, man, Noah, you were saved. That is a good statement. So what he's saying is that, you know, piety is simply just manifesting back to God through actions, the reality that he loves you. I'm just simplifying that. It's just showing God you love him by living out uh, a life that would reflect that in your character because of his character. Reverence uh, of parents is, a, is obviously a very simple way for us to understand that. We expect our children to honor us, but we don't want to make them, do we? Well, sometimes we do. But the point is, at length, we want our kids to reciprocate love. Because if it's not reciprocated, it isn't, just, it isn't love, is it? So we, we teach obedience, and there's times when you've got to learn to be obedient. But at the end of the day, you don't want to be teaching obedience when your children are 30 or 20 or 18. Right? You want them to learn it young so that they can choose to love because we know it's in their best interest to obey. It's in our best interest to obey. It's, it's, it's pious, right? It's a piety. So it's really important because we honor the Lord's name when we, we live the right way. In verse 6 there, he, he says, what is my name, right? Sayeth the Lord of hosts. His name is the Lord of hosts. In the New Testament, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord would indicate that he is God, it would also indicate that he is over all other, all over masters. He uses those two analogies. Am I your father? Am I, am I, am I, treat me like a father. Treat me like a master because he's both of those things. Treat me better than your boss and treat me better than your earthly father. How about that? So God addresses the priest three times in Malachi. This is the first of three mentions. Malachi 1.6, Malachi 2.1, and Malachi 2.7. So we'll be talking more about the priest. He's, he's really focused on the priest in Malachi. Our actions reveal our love for the Lord. In John 14 and verse 15, a verse many of us already know, the Bible is very clear. It says, simple, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you know, in my own personal testimony, this is a verse that when I first got saved, it troubled me. Because I thought, how can a God who loves me say, Brian, if you love me, keep my commandments? Doesn't that seem kind of unyielding? Until I became a junior high counselor, and I watched these junior high kids constantly rebel against really wise instructions. You know, it's like saying, don't play in the middle of I-70. Don't go play in the middle of 49 Highway. It's not a good idea. Keep my commandments. (laughs) You will die if you don't. And it really gets to the real essence of, of the heart, the very issue that Satan attacked in Eve, right? God gives all the fruit of the, the, the trees of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. So the, the, the real issue in Genesis 1 is you have everything. But the devil focused the conversation down to the one thing that she wasn't supposed to have out of everything and then twisted it as though God was somehow immoral, that his character was lacking. And that somehow he was trying to withhold something good from her when he is giving her everything else. That he is hiding something from her. That he is, he is not providing for her. And there's a, he's a holdout. And God says, uh-uh. Eve, Adam, man, guys, there's a, you can't handle this. You know? It's like every so often you hear these news stories, this little three-year-old or whatever somehow got the keys of the car, figured out how to start the thing, and he's driving down the street. And There's a reason kids aren't supposed to drive when they're below the age of 16. They can't handle it. Well, unless they're on the farm. 
<laughs> got to be careful. I got to know my audience, right? So, but the, you know what I'm saying. The only reason God said don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because it wasn't time and they couldn't handle it. But they had to trust his integrity. They had to believe that God really cared for them, that he loved them enough to provide... Er- I mean, how could, you, how could you, you know, lopsided anymore? You get all the trees of the garden. You can freely eat, freely. You don't have to do nothing. You don't even have to work, man. This is, a, this is gravy train lane. All you got to do is just do what I say and not do the one thing I told you not to do. And like all of us, right, that's the one thing they ended up doing. As the old saying goes, curiosity killed the cat. And the devil knew that. Think how diabolical the devil is. I remember going to visit my great-grandmother uh, in uh, the nursing home when I was a teenager. And I walked out of there, and I, I was you know, seeing, you know, obviously, it really hit me as a young man. I'm like, this is where we end up. A lot of people hurting and waiting to die. And I realized, man, Satan loves that. We don't sit around and accuse him of having bad character. He loves that death. He he could care less about the human race. He could care less about your child, your baby. He could care less about your purity. He could care less about God's plan for this world, God's love for this world, God's purposes for the church. He just wants to destroy it because that's who he is. And yet, for some reason, even Christians will sit and listen to his voice. And God's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. What about my name? Why aren't you listening to me? I thought you loved me. I'm not asking you to do anything that's going to hurt you. Don't you know my character? Matthew 15, the Bible says in verse 8, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Have you ever noticed how it goes in it? When we men get a hold of the, the Bible, even we'll misuse it. It's like they're teaching, they, the Jews ended up coming up during the time of Christ. Between the time they go silent until the time of the first century, they developed the Sanhedrin and the, the Pharisees and all of those things. And they had more commandments than God ever gave himself. And back to where we were. Making rules that God never ordained. Overdoing it. There's no grace, there's no liberty, there's no love. They're teaching the commandments of men above above the commandments of God. Now we've we've seen that in the church, haven't we, the last several, you know, several decades ago. It's that distance between liberty and license. And, uh, man, I tell you, or legalism, I should say, in license. And we want that place in the middle where there's liberty. God's word has to prevail, not men's opinions. They had put themselves in the place of God. Now, God is asking the question, where's my honor as a father? Where's my fear as a master? So God reminds them of their second question. Wherein have you despised thy name when you have, when we took, when did we take your name lightly? Not me, Lord. Not like Esau. When did I do that? You know, many people today live like they take the name of Christ and they call themselves Christian. But many of us don't look like Christ. When we call ourselves Christians but live like the devil, that's blasphemy. In Matthew 15, the Bible says in verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me. 
It's an issue of the heart. So this is what we should do. We should make sure we honor the Lord's offering. Malachi 7, which we already read. You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. You say, wherein have you polluted thee? In that you say that the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? You know what we need to make sure we do? Priests and kings, kings and priests, is honor the opportunity to give. Man, God gave, we're celebrating, man. God gave his son. Christmas season, man, is right here upon us. So all at least that we could do is honor the opportunity to give. Give the first fruits and not the leftovers. This is an opportunity. This is a time where we can give and give the first fruits and not the leftovers. It's a, it's a, the issue is really an issue of priority. In Proverbs 3, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You know, giving is a great way to... The Bible says where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Like, I just don't have a heart for the things of God. I promise you, if you put your treasure there, you will. I don't really have a heart for missions. Well, start supporting missionaries. You will. Where your treasure is, there's your heart also. Why do, why do we think God is going to honor our finances when we don't take to honoring him with the first fruits of our increase? And I don't, I'm not talking to anybody in particular because I don't know who gives what, which is a real blessing at moments like this. But, I mean, really, it's an issue of priority. God's like, why aren't you prioritizing these sacrifices the way I asked you to? Why don't you get the best and give the best first? I've given you everything else, and you get to keep it and do what you want. This is just an issue of honoring me. I just asked you to give the firstlings of the flock, the firstlings of the, of the crop, the first fruits of the increase, and honor the Lord's table. Now, that's the third question that he brings up. It's asked of God, wherein have we polluted thee? The Lord tells them specifically, you know, the bread upon mine altar. Uh, your blind sacrifices in verse 8 on the altar. Much is made about the bread not being the bread upon the table, the show bread, and all of that, if you look at commentaries and all that. But there's more to it than that because he is talking about the altars, which is where they burn the sacrifice. There's a reason it's called bread because Jesus himself knows as he's talking, he is the bread of life. He's going to give himself for this people. He knows that 400 years before he's even incarnated, where this is all going. Because he understands the price of redemption. And you know what? There isn't any higher price. And when he does that sacrifice for his people Israel, he, re- he not only gives them, the, he, he values them. That's how much he loves them. When he gave his sacrifice on the cross for me and for you, he values you. That's how much he loves us. We wouldn't have any value if he wouldn't have valued us, if he wouldn't have esteemed us valuable enough to give his life. He has bestowed upon us the greatest honor. So why in the world do we not honor him back? And that's basically, I'm sure, what's going through the mind of God because he knows his own mind better than I do. So, so he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every time they offer a sacrifice, whether they know it or not, it's a picture of what he's going to do for them. In Deuteronomy 15, 21, the Bible summarizes what's written in Leviticus 20, uh, 20 through 22, I'm sorry, verses 20 through 25. I'm not going to read all that, but in Deuteronomy 15 and verse 19, the Bible says, All the firstlings, males that come... Of thy herd and of thy flock shalt thou sanctify unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work in the, uh, with the firstlings of, the, of, the, of thy bullock, nor shear the firstling of thy sheep. Don't want them touched. Thou shalt 
thou shalt eat it before the Lord thy God year by year in the place which the Lord shall choose, thou and thou, thy household. And if there be any blemish therein, it is uh, as, as if it be lame or blind or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto the Lord thy God. So he's directly told him, and not only there but also in Leviticus, don't be giving me your leftovers. Don't be giving me what's convenient. I'm asking you to set aside the most important, the most precious, the first. I'm asking you to prioritize your giving. Now, for some of you think I'm talking about money, which is that's a great thing to do. That's easy for Americans to do. We are the wealthiest people in the world. I, I saw a statistic the other day. If you make over $50,000, you're in the 99.5 percentile of the richest people on the planet. So, and if you make 25000 you're still up in the 90s somewhere. So that means everybody else makes less. But it ain't about money, is it? No. It's about priority. And it's not always about, sometimes it's easy, especially when you live in the richest nation on the planet, it's easy to give money. But what about our heart? And what about our life? Man, what does the church need now? Man, I tell you what, this church, I'm not talking about the church, Big C, I'm talking about the church right here. Well, we need people to give their life in working with children. We need people to, uh, Bobby's looking for someone to help her, which you don't know this yet, so it's not your fault, but some, she needs help over here in the, in the common grounds. She needs someone to help her with that. We, got, we all need, we need help making Bibles. We need help here. We need, and you guys, by the way, this church is a super giving church, so I'm preaching in the choir. But we need more people to get saved. We need more people with Jesus in their heart. We need, we got, there's so much to do, man. We've got to trust the Lord to use us, and we've got to prioritize our giving of our heart and our life. All the other stuff comes easy. Now, devotionally, make sure that your bread is fresh upon your heart. I thought, how could I really apply this the best to the church today? You know, that's probably the biggest issue is your time. I'm finding more and more. I kind of like the Bible app stuff on, on reading because I like seeing those little pictures out on Facebook. But have you ever noticed if you don't use your Bible, it's easy to get distracted and have something rob you of your time instead of investing in the Word of God? Man, I tell you what. That is, that is a huge issue. Is how, you know, he's talking about the altar and what's on the altar. Is it fresh? And is it first? Right? Is this the first fruit? You're like, hey, Brian, that's day-old bread. That's like three days old, man. I got a word for you every day, Brian. Get, a fresh, get fresh bread on that altar. And don't let anything else, don't let some counseling problem, don't let anything else cloud what I've got to say to you. The first word that I need to hear every day isn't even, good morning, honey, from my wife. It's this book. I like that. I like that good morning, honey stuff. But the, I like, I, but the thing I need to hear is the word of God. Now, I can preach this with a completely pure conscience and good heart because this is who I am. I, when I say, if I don't have the word of God, I'm a mess. I'm not kidding you. If I don't get the word of God daily, I am a mess. I can't function. I am an addict. I'm addicted to the ministry. I'm addicted to this book. There's only two paths for me. It's sin or sanctification. It's Jesus or the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's been that way from the day I got saved. It's that way today. And you know what? The truth is it's that way for all of us. But we can act like the priests of Malachi and cover it up with good works. But really, we're not given the, we're not given the first fruits of our heart. <laughs> You like my dance there, so that must have been funny. I like this one day I was doing my devotional reading, and this 
passage, very familiar, came across to me, but it really helped me think about this, this priority of putting fresh bread on the altar of my heart because this is the mind of Christ. And I need a fresh word every day. He, he wants first fruits of my life, but you know what? He's so good to me, he'll give me fresh bread every day like manna from heaven as I'm in this wilderness journey. So I'm sitting in, and I'm reading Psalm 23 somewhere along the way in my life. And I came across this verse. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You guys have heard that. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And I'm sitting there thinking about that. And I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm, I got, I'm surrounded. Anybody ever feel surrounded? Michael, what's his name, wrote a song about that a few, a few years back. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence. You know, that fresh bread that comes to your heart. God prepares you a table. You may be sitting at your dining room table or wherever you do your devotion. You're getting that fresh bread. You know, you're surrounded. You need that fresh bread. You don't have anything to fear. The Lord is your shepherd. You don't want. He provides. But what happens when you're surrounded and you're not getting the bread you need? And why in the world would, you, would we leave that? Why would I leave that place? The table of the Lord should be prepared doctrinally as well. In 1 Corinthians 11, you guys remember, uh, we, we cover this every time we do the Lord's Supper. We talk about how to observe the Lord's Supper properly. It's so important not to do it with malice or wickedness. 1 Corinthians 5, 8, that Paul warned the church, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the, le- with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. When we come to the, celebrate the Lord's table, it's all symbolic. But what it's really dealing with is the issue of the heart. The issue as kings and priests that we're approaching the body of Christ with, the word of God with, and our own calling and our own identity. There are many who corrupt the Lord's table with like the Eucharist. I watched Hank Hanegraaff and K.P. Yuhanan and Francis Chan extolling the virtues of the Eucharist just a few weeks ago. They're all sitting around. Messing up the whole image and the picture of Christ by talking about taking the Eucharist and the value of the historical Christian orthodoxy in defiling the, 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 the body and the blood of Christ with some image that comes from Baal worship. Are you kidding me? The sun God? Get out of here with that stuff. God has given the church so we understand these issues all the way down to the heart that when we do the Lord's Supper, we're not going to get taken to the left or to the right, but we're going to understand the context. We're going to understand how to operate it. Why? Because we're light in the world. It's so important that we don't mess up the table. But we'll do it. Some will come to the Lord's table and we'll go through the motions and we'll know all the right doctrine and we would never dare take the Eucharist. We'd never slam down a... Uh, our, our, our bread with, a, with fermented wine anymore and we'd slam it down with, a, with a, a shot of whiskey. We wouldn't do that. But yet we will hold a grudge and we will, we will have bitterness in our heart for someone across the room. And that brood of bitterness will spring up and defile many. Not my issue, that's the Lord. But it is my issue because I'm the pastor. That transubstantiation teaches that the priest who's decked with garments of Babylon blesses that fermented wine in the Eucharist is literally transformed into the body and the blood of Christ. Come on, man. That's not what it's all about. But you know what? People want magic from God. Oh, God, do some magic in my life. Do some magic in my life. But they don't want to honor his word. They don't want to read his word. They don't want to live his word. They don't want to honor the one who gave his life for them. They don't care. And that used to be me. 
And he's even given us a pure word. Oh, woe is us who run around with the pure word. Woo, I got the pure word, man. I know, I understand the issue of textual criticism. I understand the issues of God's preservation. I understand all those doctrines and all those teachings. And by the way, you need to understand all those doctrines and all those teachings. But woe unto us. To whom much is given, much is required. Why would God give you some fresh bread if he didn't expect you to steward it? I'm just saying. It's not so we can run around saying, whoa, look at what I know. Look what God's given me. That's pride. That's haughty. That's not Jesus. We need to show the world that we've got the word of God, not only in our hands, but in our hearts. Man, I know people with NIVs that do a better job than people that are running around with KJVs. And the issue is not the Bible, it's their heart. Don't get me wrong, the KJV is the pure word of God in English. But, the pro- the Bi- it's not the corruption of the Bible, it's the corruption of the heart. Man is the problem. We're committed to producing a pure word here, by the way. So I, there's some in the foyer. If you want some, please take them. And then we need to honor the Lord's sacrifice. In verse 8, they promised that God that they would bring the firstlings of the flock in Nehemiah 10. When we did the introduction, I talked about, remember those promises they made? Nehemiah 10, 36. We're going to bring the firstlings of the flock, Lord. We're going to worship here. It isn't 10 years later, and God's saying, what about that? God sees what they were offering. And in verse 13, he says, man, they're torn, they're lame, they're sick. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? We're to offer our bodies, by the way, as a living sacrifice. All messed up and drunk. No, that's not what it says. I I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. No other, I don't have any other, I'm not telling you what to dress in. I'm not telling you a bunch of rules and regulations. Just let the Bible guide you. Let the Spirit of God tell you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Be like Jesus and you're going to be fine. Accept one to God which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we don't know what to do, then get in the Bible so God can show us. Because he will prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. But wait, I thought we were supposed to come to Jesus as we are. Brian, don't you know that the church is a hospital for sick people? I do know that. And by the way, this isn't really preaching. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, I'm not talking to someone who's not been saved. I'm talking to people who are saved and know better. I'm talking to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're sick and you're hurting... Even if you're a Christian, of course. Christians, we don't have to put on a facade, by the way. You don't have to act like you don't have problems. You don't have to act like you're sinlessly perfect. That's not what I'm driving for here either. We all need each other. We need the, don't you need the mercy and grace of God daily? Amen. I know I do. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not even talking about externals. <laughs> I'm talking about the internal, the, the heart. What is the priority? What is really important to us in our heart? Is it something other than Jesus? When we come to Christ, be changed into who you really are. Do you really believe who you are in Christ? Do you know? Maybe you need to get discipled. 
maybe you don't really know who you are. Maybe the devil can, can pull you around and, and toss you to and fro because you've never had anyone sit down with the Bible and, and take you like a child and give you the milk of God's word. There's a reason that we disciple. There's a reason that we definitely should be gentle and kind to people who don't know the knowledge of God's word. That's, that's, man, that's where we start. But if I'm coming off a little harsh, it's because I'm talking to those of us that know better, the priests and the kings that have already uh, gone past that. As Paul said, the times, there was a time for that, but now you should be beyond that. Right? Somebody who sits under the word of God for years and years and years in their life isn't changing. Something's wrong. And it's not what they're learning. It's in our hearts. And I've got to be careful, too. We're all there. So I'm preaching this message. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we know 1 John 3 says that we are now sons of God. So let me just finish this up because we're out of time. Honor the Lord's authority. That's really what, that's all he's asking. Look down in verse 14. We'll be done. He says, but, but cursed be the, the, the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. That's what God's saying. What, don't, give, don't be trying to pull a game on me. Don't be telling me one thing and showing me something else. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. My name is dreadful among the heathen. The fact that my God in heaven has to declare that he's a great king is a shame to his people. We should say, yes, you are a great king. Forgive us that you ever had to tell us. That is who you are. Honor the Lord's authority above all the civil authority. I have a lot to say about that, but I'm going to skip it. There was a lot of stuff going on back in the time of Nehemiah. They had people in the temple that shouldn't have been there. They were letting Sanballat and Tobiah have their way with things. And, and Nehemiah come in and he shut that down. He's like, no, this is the Lord's house. Some of you folks, you may be dating, having illicit relationships with people. Nobody belongs in your house but Jesus until Jesus sanctifies that relationship with a ring. Out of the head, out of the heart. And you know what I'm talking about. Let it not be once named among you, as become as saints, Paul said. I tell you that because I love you. Honor God. The prophecy has a dual fulfillment. It occurred partially in the gospel, going to the Gentiles at verse 11. He's like, I, I'm going to go ahead and get the word out around the world with or without you. I'm going to do my thing. I just need you to do your thing. Honor the Lord's authority by giving the best to your king. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. We, we know how the wise men, when they came to Jesus Christ as a toddler, man, they, they provided gold and frankincense and myrrh. They honored him with with riches. They brought the best to Jesus. We're going to celebrate that, aren't we? It's Christmas time. That's why we exchange gifts. All of that stuff is why it brings, it's, it's about giving God the best. It's a great time to be thinking about these principles as Christmas rolls around. We can get caught up in all the activity of shopping and forget, oh wait, God, I need to give you my heart for Christmas. Would you be willing to offer your child? God gave you his best. I got a picture there of Charles Wesco, you know, just a couple years ago. You think the Wescos felt good about sending their, their son off to Cameroon and him getting shot in the head? Probably not. But that's the offering that, that he was willing to give. And that's also, that affected Stephanie, it affected the whole family. God says, you know what? I want your best. You know how they cope with that? It's not easy. 
they cope with that knowing that God gave his best. And those are real hard things to think about, aren't they? But you know, some of us need to consider that because God's calling you into ministry. I mean, he's calling you to really give all. He's like, your life needs to be dedicated to what Brian's talking about because Brian ain't going to be here forever. Who's going to replace him? Who's going to replace Pastor Randy? Who's going to replace Pastor Jim? Who's going to replace Pastor Steve? Who's going to replace the next generation of pastors? Who is it? Who's God calling? Who's going to be the next missionary to replace Brian Clark or the next missionary to to, to pioneer a work? Who's going to be able to to understand their generation and reach it? It isn't going to be 80-year-old Brian Hedges. Maybe God's calling you to give your best, not your leftovers. And give God your heart. And let him take it where he wants it to go. You got to give up. And let him take you where he needs you to go. Worship doesn't start with the child. It starts with the parent. That's where it starts. There's a reason he's talking about these family relationships, this, this authority structure, because, well, it ends with God saying, you know what, I'm going to come back and I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. And I'm going to show you all what it looks like to love. In about 400 years, I'm going to give my son and he's going to die for the world. I'm going to show you what worship looks like. And that message is going to go out to the Gentile world, verse 11. And I'm going to call these people to worship me and give their heart. They have nothing else to bring. They're Gentiles, after all. They don't even understand the law. But yet they'll give me my heart. They'll give me their hearts. And you know what? In their hearts, I'll be glorified. And that altar is going to be enough. And in 2020, there's going to be some crazy preacher that's going to get a hold of a little glimpse of this thing. And it's going to fire him up. And it's going to get him through the rest of the age. Beloved, that's my prayer for me. I don't know if you can take it or not. I don't know if that's a prayer for you or not, but that's what I'm getting from this passage. Worship starts with the parent. God wants it in the son. Hey, listen, parents. If the Westcos weren't willing to give their best, I don't think Charles would have been in the mind to give his best. You guys have met Stephanie. She's been here. We know her. You know what, her, her, th- those kids, those Wesco kids are going to do great. Why? Because they know what worship looks like. And God still loves them. God still provides for them. Beloved, there's a lot in this book about the love of the Father. And we'll never grab a hold of it if we don't understand our identity in Christ. In a world of identity politics and division, man, what a great time to really understand. You are a child of God. You are a king. You are a priest. What a time to really grab a hold that, that, that the love of the Father is re- revealed in our piety. That our life will reflect whether we love him or we don't. So this morning, do you identify with the Father in heaven through the Son? Do you identify with him through the Lord Jesus Christ? And does our life display a reverence and a love? For those, this is for the Christians this, this week. Does our life as Christians reveal a reverence and a love for the Father in heaven? And if not, why not? You don't need a new identity. You need to identify with the one who's already identified with you. I've got to identify with the one who's already identified with me. I've got to believe what the Bible says. 
that he is a great king, that he has already died on the cross for my sins, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think the problem sometimes is we get diligent about other things other than seeking him, and that really reveals our heart. You know what's so great about God is you're breathing right now, and your heart's just sitting there going like this, your physical heart. Boom, 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 boom. And he's keeping that thing beating because you're in time, not eternity yet. And with every beat of that heart, it represents an opportunity, an opportunity to make a decision to love God. And this morning, maybe you've come and you really aren't loving God. Oh, maybe you're coming to church, you're going through the motions, but you know a long time ago, his, the priority of Christ first has drifted away, and now it's just become a religion just become a weekly sacrifice. Hey, listen, beloved, you can change that now. You don't even have to get out of your seat, but you can allow God to change your heart. Now, all you got to do is ask him. It's just, it's, it's, it's no different than when we get saved. God does the work, right? You just ask him, and then the next right thing he tells you to do, do it. Don't say no to God anymore. Make his priorities your priorities. I'm not saying to get crazy and go out of balance with your life. I'm saying make his priorities your priorities, and he'll bring your life into balance. Don't serve me. Don't serve men. Serve Christ, and you'll be good. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. Lord, this has just been a, a book on my heart, a message on my heart.